Hey, hey, Screamers. We have something special for you today. Earlier this week, the Fort Worth Film Club screened Melvin Van Peebles' scathing look at white privilege, 1970s Watermelon Man. At our post-screening discussion, we were lucky enough to be joined by very special, actually beyond special guests, Mr. Marcellus Perkins and Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr. It was a rich, engaging, informative, and candid discussion, and we are pleased to present that live recording here. Next episode, we'll be back to wrap up our discussion on Hal Hartley, as well as some new films and general musings. But for now, enjoy this live conversation on Watermelon Man with Marcellus and Dr. G. Did you want to? No, I was just going to ask them to introduce themselves. Yeah, well, before that, so thanks everybody for being here um, again, and thank you, gentlemen, for being here. And so, yeah, take it away. Tell us. Tell us who you are. It's existential pop quiz. Sure, sure. Uh, Marcellus Perkins, uh, third year, doc- third-ish doctoral student at uh, TCU in the higher education department. Um, I work in the office of the chancellor and the president, but outside of work titles, um, I'm a brother, son, community member uh, from Hampton Roads community uh, in Virginia. Did my undergrad at the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass. I completed my master's at TCU, and now working on doctoral program. Mm. Uh, outside of, appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, outside of school, um, really like being in the community. Um, foodie, amateur, plant person, um, and uh, you know, doing cool things like this. So, awesome. Thank you. Yep. Oh, can't step on it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Informal well, but serious. Hey, man. As y'all can see, uh, I'm the DJ. He's the rapper. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, but but it's a it's a pleasure and a privilege still to be here. As far as what's relevant here, um, my name is Frederick Gooding Jr. You can call me Dr. G. I'm indeed the captain of my ship and the master of my destiny. And um, what can I tell you? Except I uh, love movies 100. percent Write about them. Read about them. Uh, talk about them all the time. And so uh, a sister was coming in here, just heard me talk about Empire Strikes Back. 100%, 100%. I don't know what the hell they are doing now, uh, right? But, you know, that's another topic for another time. But, uh, but yeah, so I love movies. That's why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here in this space. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you again, both of you, for being here. So on that note, I'd like to start with this question to to both of you. Film on some level is a universal language, but also it's kind of not at all. And so with that in mind, could you guys talk a little bit about how film helps not only to create shared stories, but also to create mythologies? And I'm thinking also in terms of the unholy trilogy, unholy trinity from Dr. G's Black Oscars book as well. He's, he's kissing up right off. Oh, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you're, but you're like half I, impressed. I, 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 was, I was just trying to masquerade and just, you know, just just be a part of the conversation. But, okay, so um, if I must reveal, I, I do um, teach about movies and, um, you know, I've written about it a little bit. And I, I think Brock's point is excellent in that, you know what's fascinating? I don't know if anyone's been outside the country. Have you been to the movie theater? Yes. 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 Which movies are being shown? 
movies made from Hollywood, right? It's fascinating because all I'm saying is this, not that there aren't excellent foreign movies made, but I'm not gonna find them at the AMC 18 down the street, right? I mean, right? And so what was so fascinating is I've been to countries whereby there are only Hollywood movies shown in, in foreign uh, establishments. I mean, I'm talking about far away from Czech Republic to Vietnam to Australia, Hollywood movies dominate. And so going back to your point, Brock, I think um, many people say, right, especially my students, oh, but it's just a movie, don't worry about it. Actually, it's the opposite. Movies are indeed this universal language that communicates so much to so many people. And so even though you haven't set foot maybe in the Czech Republic, somebody over there thinks they have an idea as to what life might be like for you as an average American. For anyone who's gone abroad, uh, you know, here you are scraping for, you know, months, 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 right? You know, like, you know, cutting the crust in your, you know, on your bread and everything so you can save up for your ticket. You go over there and they think you're rich. Right, because that's the narrative that they see, right? You know, so that's just a generic piece, but when it comes to race, right, um, that, you know, is a whole nother uh, ball of wax as far as pe what people interpret. But I think just, you know, in terms of us just starting off, I think movies are indeed a universal language, um, you know, and for uh, for anyone who has the ability to, to see uh, so much is encapsulated in the moving picture, after all, if they say a picture is worth a thousand words, my question is, well, how much is a moving picture worth? Oh, that, that, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, retweet. No, I thought that was an excellent point. Um, when I think about movies and I think about art in general, um, art really allows us to, one, express our viewpoints of society, but also what are the pitfalls or what are the ills of society and how can art help elevate that? And I think the power of movie is that we get a lot of different aspects of art, the storytelling, the artistic interpretation, the vibrant colors, the interactions, the human interactions, the, the creative human interaction, or the things that we create out of our imagination but still have some type of reality at the undergridding of, of it underneath. So um, as Dr. G said, I think movies say a lot and I think conversations like this allow us to explore what is exactly being said, but also what is not being said. What are the silent parts of the movie that we're missing? Yeah, and just real quick to build on what the brother just said, um, I mean, think about how uh, movies about Vietnam weren't made in the 1940s. Right? When were they made? Like, oh, in the 80s, Hamburger Hill. And, right? So in other words, movies do reflect and reinforce aspects of, of, our, of our daily life, right, in many ways. Not to say that they are dispositive and they are definitive in terms of uh, what is actually happening, but they do reflect. There's this tension. There's this relationship. And so uh, to the extent that movies are coming out now, 50 years from now, movies can be a, a, an excellent time capsule as to some of the issues and things that were going on. I mean, uh, you know, just with the, the passing of, um, you know, a COVID mask and, you know, and a couple of the newer movies now, you know, that we might take for granted because we've been a part of this experience. But just like, you know, your parents or your grandparents might whip out and dust off the VHS tapes. Uh, if you don't know, they're these like rectangular box square <laughs> things. Okay, right. Just like they might dust those off and say, hey, check this out, because this was formative in terms of uh, the impression it made them or that shared language, you know, expressions. Um, the, the idea is that movies reflect and reinforce so much. And so even though we oftentimes say it's just a movie, 
it can mean so much more. And especially when we actually start to parse out, say in a movie like this, um, issues and themes um, reflected to us in terms of gender, you know, gender roles, you know, and obviously, you know, race, and just even just, you know, capitalism or just, you know, some of these larger ideas as far as how we operate. I think movies oftentimes uh, are an overlooked source of, um, of, of good information. And just to kind of jump on both of those things, I mean, movies and art in general will teach us lessons or like ways to live for good and bad. And we bring our own sort of experiences then to bear on those as well, which can reinforce or teach something new or lead us down just a terrible, shitty path. <laughs> so I have a question in regards to Melvin Van Peebles, and so where do you see him as a, as a, as a historian and a study of, of film, where do you see him in the pantheon of not only black filmmakers, but American filmmakers? Well, what I really like about Melvin is the, the whole enterprise behind the movie we saw today uh, speaks rebel. Right, I mean, I mean, it speaks counterculture, and and I think that it resonates with many people. Uh, just when you just gave the little uh, preamble about just uh, how the studio gave him certain restrictions, and so uh, you know him saying that you know what. I'm not going to be bound by that. I'm still going to make the movie on my terms, right? Um, it takes a lot of uh, temerity. It takes a lot of strength of character to have a vision and to be able to pursue it and see it through. Um, and, and so I think, uh, you know, again, we, we could talk about content and whether you liked it or not, but just in terms of what he represents, um, he represents somebody who is not going to go with the status quo. Um, and, and he took many risks as a result and, you know, and paid the price as, as a result. But I think that, um, I, you know, you cannot say that uh, he was simply uh, playing the uh, the university, uh, excuse me, at university, whoops, my 40th slip, but he, he was not playing the, the corporate line here when he was producing the, this, this craft. And even uh, from what I understand, I don't know a whole lot, but he had back and forth with the, the author of the, uh, the screenplay in terms of the author of the screenplay wanted things one way and he wanted things another way. So just this idea of him just being a true artiste, I, I think is uh, an inspiration you know, for many of us who oftentimes feel constricted by, by rules and people telling us, you know, what we should be thinking, what we should be doing. Yeah, just a bit off that, too. Um, one of the things that I came across in his interviews was that uh, he had told Columbia that he had two endings, right? And so yeah. one of the endings was that um, the main character wakes up and it was all a dream. It was a nightmare. And he returns back to the safety of his whiteness. Um, but he told them, like, I, oh, I forgot to uh, record that part. And he told them after he, they tore down the whole set that it was only actually one ending that he's ever going to record. And I think that says a lot to, one, this idea of being a rebel, but two, as a black artist, the thin line that you have to also balance between staying true to your art, but also having to appease this larger structure. Like he's an indie artist who, you know, going to Columbia, which is a major film network. And so how do I give you what you want, but also stay true to me? But in that, he played the game of this nuanced trickster of, I was always going to, I know your hand, you don't know my hand. So how do I play the game to, to my end, to meet my ends at the end of the day? So I think he sets like this, this precedent for black artists and black directors that there are ways if you are able to like maneuver them. It is a very, very uh, tough, tough path that he does. And I don't know how many directors following him are able to like successfully do that to trick the system to make the movie in your own, in your own mind. 
without losing sight of like what it is that you want. So um, he's high on my list after watching this type of film and just kind of knowing those backstories, I think really give more context to the actual art. And, and this brother just inspired me um, because isn't that part of the point, right? That we wake up, we typically have to go somewhere, we have to do something, um, we're responsible for fill in the blank. And many of us, right, um, may feel powerless to some degree, right? When you look at the, the larger economy of scale, when, when we see these, these numbers that like the Jeff Bezos of the world are making, it's like, oh my God, am I ever going to be successful? That, that sort of deal, right? And sometimes we might feel swallowed up whole. I think what Brother Perkins is saying, um, you know, is that uh, artists like Melvin Van Peebles reminds us that we may not have all the power but we do have power. There's always an opportunity to, to subvert, to resist, to think critically, to think differently. There's always that opportunity to do so, even though ultimately Columbia Pictures has the last laugh and right, you know, they're, they're the system, you know, the house wins, we get it. But there's always something that you can do, right? And I, and I think in terms of artistry, that's one of the reasons why so many of us, I think, uh, pay so much homage and respect to artists that inspire us because they had to, at some point, take some sort of risk, be vulnerable, and I think we appreciate them for doing so. Yeah, just anecdotally for those who don't know, the original story was kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge story where it was all a dream and there was kind of a white savior, uh, you know, liberal guilt released where he realizes all of his errors of his ways. Um, what's great What's great for me about this story, especially from a Melvin perspective, is that off of the success of this movie, he was offered a three picture deal and basically said, nah, I'm good. And went on to make Sweetback, uh, you know, for $150,000 and it grossed 15 million and it's just uh, blazing a path is just I mean it, what he was able to do with his first three films is just is just incredible uh, <laughs> um, in regards to uh, how do, where do you think that line is because I we were talking before Brock and I were talking before the show um, if you look at how successful watermelon man is to me it's kind of inscrutable that that it actually um, was well received and it, and it made money, especially because I don't, and again, I wasn't around, but I don't believe that white privilege and, 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 and satire about white liberalism was really being talked about then. If you look at something like The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which came out in 73, um, also a major studio release, and essentially as soon as it got into the theaters, it was pulled uh, after the studio realized you know, the story that was being told. How do you think um, Melvin was able to navigate those waters like that? Well, I mean, I think you mentioned it earlier in the uh, kind of talking about how the, the uh, execs were kind of asking, you know, some of the black people working, like, you know, how do you feel about this film? And him catching wind up and like, well, tell them it's great. Tell them this is what black people actually want to see. And I think that goes again to this idea of the rebel, this being uh, very in tune with the art that he wants, but also knowing the system that he's up against. And so once it's on the screen and, and then the claim starts to come and people are saying, oh, we, we do like that art, it's kind of a, you take a deep breath, but will it resonate the way that you want, right? And, and while I'm watching this film, I think a lot of about things that Dave Chappelle said in his work, where you, know, you kind of see some of the similarities, like are you laughing 
edit? Are you laughing with me? And I think that's the difficult part when you do take that type of risk with these type of uh, artworks that Ben Peoples is doing is that will it resonate? Will it land the way it is intended to? Will people actually get the messaging? Will they get the the, the subtle jokes? Will they kind of lose themselves in the absurd jokes? Like, But in that thin line, did you get the actual message that's being said? Well, if that's the alley, here's the oop. Um, <laughs> So again, I think what we can allow ourselves to do is be complicated. Uh, uh, pardon expression, we don't have to, it doesn't have to be all black and white, uh, right? There's uh, some shades of gray, for some of us it's 50. Okay, or, 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 okay, okay. I was making a movie joke, we put the brown in there, okay. But it was a movie joke, yeah, yeah, 50 shades, okay. At any rate, uh, yeah, for the Dakota fans out there with the press tour, that's another disaster. But. Um, She's so much fun. Though. Yeah, yeah, no, she, yeah, she's fun, but the press tour is a disaster. So, so just like that, just like we can say we love Dakota, but her press tour is a disaster. <laughs> love Melvin Van Peebles, what he stands for, but not to quote David Allen Greer and Damon Waynans, but hated it. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I mean, I, I wasn't feeling it. I mean, I, it, it was difficult for me. I mean, again, there were parts, right? There were parts. Uh, for example, I think um, for me, probably the most uh, compelling part was when he was saying, I don't know if y'all caught the, 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 the language there, but I think the script writing was covered there when he was like, oh, it's just a nightmare, it's just a nightmare. Like, it's almost like the nightmare would have been better than the reality of waking up black. So I thought that, that was covered, that was good. But just the overall premise, I, I, like Perkins was saying, it's, it's a tough line, right, with satire. And at least with me, it didn't land, right? Um, you know, uh, and I know it's a different time when we're looking back at it, but even still, this just really smacks of the Black Like Me or the Soul Man in 86, or even LaQuisha that came out in 2019, right? This, this idea of that, you know, the, you change the, you know, the, the color of the race, and at least in a comedic aspect, that's the issue I have, right? Um, because uh, we're, taking the time on a Wednesday night to sit down, process, and think, et cetera, et cetera, and, which I think is absolutely awesome, and I'm appreciative of you all creating this space and you all staying to actually have this conversation. But my concern is that for most of the audience who walk in with certain ideas and concepts, they pretty much walk out with many of those concepts undergirded and affirmed, right? Particularly when um, the, the color piece is, is on, a, uh, you know, on a comedy level, right? So the first time that we see his Blackness is when he's uh, showing his arse, right, or his, his butt cheeks, right? So I think that right there, for me, is setting the tone um, in terms of how we're supposed to, like, take in, um, you know, his, his new identity. And, and, and also, I don't, you know, we could go into it later. I don't know if I truly, in watching the film, felt that Gerber, as a black person, truly navigated and experienced the pain of what it is to be a black person. And I don't know how you go about showing that and demonstrating that in the, co in the comedy and, you know, the brief amount, of, brief amount of time that you have. I mean, you know, I mean, we've been paying this tax all of our life and it's not a joke, right? You know, ha ha he he, but what happens when I get in my car and somebody pulls me over? Is it, is it fucking funny then? Right, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on my own then, right? It's, it's not a joke, it's real life, the minute I walk out the door, right? So, again, I, I think it's, you know, it's difficult. Um, you know, how do you attempt, you know, to, to satirize? And also, who has the ability to satirize, right? Who has the power and control to satirize? I mean, let's be honest, it was written by a white author. I mean, you need some about the white studio, the pressures. And so I think Melvin had a trick deck, 
he, I mean, he did the best he could, and he throw in the, the black power piece towards the end. It still came off a little uneven. I mean, maybe if he had more time or a series or something, he could have really developed that point in terms of, you know, why does it have to be one thing versus the other in terms of losing the family and the, and the, and the, and the wife and that sort of thing. But, you know, I'll, I'll have to say, you know, just, you know, on this idea of why I'm so stuck on the humor piece is that I personally have been to Dachau, Germany, right? You know, I've been to Auschwitz, right? And all I'm saying is that, and I'm not trying to, you know, to make it real serious, but, you know, I just remember hearing the gasp from the audience when they made that one Jewish joke, right? When the whole fucking movie is about blackness, right? The whole fucking movie is about blackness. And so all I'm saying is this, but I don't have to be Jewish to understand as a human being that what I saw was wrong. Right? As a human being, when I saw the fake shower, when I saw the ovens, as a human being, I don't have to be Jewish to understand that. Right? So all I'm saying is this idea that you have to be black to understand what racial discrimination is, just the very premise, right, is one that I question, right? Because I think for many of us, it, it is easy to separate it, but uh, but for me, what, what the, the humor does is often it over-dramatizes and, and therefore protects the day-to-day -day normal racism that, that still uh, goes virtually unchecked, right? Just, you know, even just the, the premise of, you know, um, you know, the bus driver in a service position the elevator person in service position. I mean, just, just these pieces that, that we aren't even thinking about. We're just focusing on him and his upper class job and maybe his boss trying to exploit this new market. But but just the, the day to day of 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 this idea of like, you know, who gets to participate in society. I think those are some of the, the potential uh, pieces that maybe if it was a different lens creating the script that maybe would have been explored. So I'll pause there. I don't want to dominate, but I just wanted to be honest and say that um, I can enjoy who Melvin Van Peebles is. I can enjoy aspects of the film, but overall, say that I wasn't feeling it. Taking that message then, how do you, where do you feel that we seem like we have this conversation um, over and over and over again, and it seems to come up on a decade type basis. Um, where do you feel like, um, black filmmakers and black storytellers uh, are able to, I guess not where, but how do you feel like they're able to balance uh, stories for a mass market, but also still tell their own stories? We, can, we see this in, in movies like Hollywood Shuffle, we see Bamboozled, and most recently with American Fiction, we seemingly have to tell this story over and over again. Um, to, to your um, input, I mean, where, where, how do you see that, that balancing out? It is very, very difficult, right? Because um, <clears throat> there still is this negotiated tension of, in order to have access to the largest possible audience, um, there still has to be this this almost like permission for, for access. And, and, and access won't be fully granted unless um, you know, the, the distributors feel comfortable with the material. And so the more militant material uh, or maybe more incisive material, um, you know, is just, just not as seen as marketable, you know, by, by you know, these, uh, these power structures. And so that, that's the tension, right? How do you go about doing something that is subversive, but at the same time that has to be marketable? I mean, if, if you know, Columbia Pictures, right, or Sony doesn't, Sony actually doesn't feel as if they can feel 
6,000 screens across the, you know, the nation, why are we even talking about it? Now, mind you, that being said, we're talking about for the, 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 the mainstream blockbuster uh, you know, uh, level. Now, there are outlets such as Hulu, Netflix that are opening up more outlets, you know, even people going directly to YouTube. What's the sister's name who uh, got the, uh, the, 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 the TikTok you know, saga going on, right? Um, you know, she's been telling her story about you know, the, the, why the, 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 that mayor. Okay, so, so I think that's opening up you know, avenues. And, and when, you, when you look at like, like, uh, like Aquafina, she's a woman of color, or even Issa Rae, a woman of color, you know, they were able to get started through YouTube and kind of make their way up. But still, I mean, it's not like the floodgates are opening, right? And so I think um, you know, um, it's, it's very difficult when African-Americans or other people of color simply don't own the means of production in this country. I mean, think about it. It's just this ironic and interesting dynamic that I don't know if we question enough, but uh, just like, you know, you know, we talk about Bollywood, this is all awesome, and even Nollywood in Nigeria, or even if I go to China, like, you know, you have Chinese cinema. But here, as an African American, I am uniquely dependent upon Hollywood to create images that will sell back to me of me. Right? Just like if I go to the library, most books written about African Americans are not written by African Americans. Right? So I'm always constantly negotiating how I see myself through the lens of other people. This brother and I were literally just having a, a coffee trying to reconcile because they, he, they attended his local story and he attended one of our talks talking about how, you know, we need to understand how blacks, you know, living off the plantation, it was a step up for them to then live on the campus, right? And so, you know, right, this is what he's telling us. And so, you know, and, and so we're constantly, remember, he's a historian. And so we're constantly having to negotiate how do we tell our stories for ourselves, um, you know, uh, without it appearing to be too, you know, militant or whatever the case may be. So in answer to your question, Jason, uh, I don't have the answer right now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very complicated equation, um, you know, where, where somebody like, uh, you know, um, Shonda Rhimes does a Bridgerton where it's nice and complex and mixed. She's criticized for selling out, you know, because it's not black focused enough. And then if, if it's too black and too strong, the bottom line is that it, may, it just may not have, you know, the national audience, right? Unless it's a Marvel-backed movie called Black Panther, right? You know, that, that's had this built-up audience. But even still, you know, not to be pessimistic, but we can talk about this later, but you saw the movie Black Panther, but I don't know if I saw in the movie Black Power. Yeah. I, I want to add, too, that, I mean, I think along with that, most things that I want to watch my language here, right? Because I think words matter, words mean things. But too often when we talk about black cinema, it's almost like white fantasy of what black cinema should be, right? And, and, and then I think just something that like Van Peebles said while making this film to Mantan Moreland, right? Um, he said, don't make it too clear that we're saying fuck you. Right, which I really, I like. And so, I, I mean, I do, and not to like push back, but I do like how Van Peebles is really trying to subvert those tropes, right? And, and trying to call attention to them, but at the same time, right, really twist kind of the knife into the yeah. audience. I mean, I think that's kind of like what both Dr. G are saying. This is very thin line. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to like American film, Largely, it, it will adhere, it will affirm and confirm white values. And a lot of, a big part of white values when it comes to race relations is that there has to be a black 
underclass, that is of service, that is of not of equality, not equal, not eye to eye. And so though I think he does a great job of uh, attempting to subvert and, and use these uh, characters, even the name the Watermelon Man, I mean, what the Watermelon has like a racial history that has been used to demonize black people and criminalize black people. Uh, but it is, does it land? Does it do the audience, especially when it goes to that mainstream audience, which will be majority white people, um, will it land? Will they understand the the nuances? And as, as such as Dr. G said, like when you use comedy to do it, like that's why I kind of wrote to me that Dave Chappelle piece, like some of the things that he struggled with with his art is like, are you laughing at it? Or are you laughing with me? Uh, when you're laughing with me, are you seeing how absurd this actually is? Like this is real life and these are realities and that we're laughing at it, but do you see like the social commentary under it? And so I think it's that, that thin line that he has to constantly battle with. You know, and, and just to build real quickly three points, um, I think there was an opportunity to maybe explain or to contextualize just what modern melon means. I saw it on the table with the fried chicken, right? But. I mean, does anybody know like why watermelons are associated with African Americans to begin with? Right? I mean, it's like we kind of like know it, but but think about it, right? Say for example, you're uh, like Monday, 90 degrees, right? Out in Texas, you know, laboring from sun up to sundown. Uh, you're exhausted, um, and you know you're you're parched. Watermelon, you can imagine or appreciate, is a very valuable resource because it's what type of based? Water-based type of fruit, right? And not only that, but it's large in size, so it has a communal aspect. It can be shared. It's not just one grape for me, right? One grape for me, Jason, no, and one, no, for, no. The idea is that it can be shared, right? And, and it's able to provide me with that natural sucrose to keep me going. So this, this idea that the watermelon, in some ways, is a sacred, right, you know, a piece for us that has been bastardized you know, throughout the, you know, mainstream media. And I don't, I think that was a missed opportunity in terms of we say watermelon man, like, well, what does that mean? As opposed to someone walking in with the stereotypical narrative and still walking out with that. And then secondly, just the concept of tanning to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, right, right, just like, we're watching the movie and I even talk, but, but just, do you go out tanning, my brother? <laughs> nah. I mean, right, right, right. So, 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 if you want to ask two real black men in the audience, if we even do tanning at all, it's, it's not even a concept, right? You know, we're already blessed, you know, kissed by the sun, we already have melanin, but just this concept itself, because that was part of the running gag, right? And, and then that's when he went ape shit and attacked the guy who came into the, his crib, you know, excuse me, his domicile. <clears throat> To uh, right, Coast Witcher, right? You know, to, to deliver the, the. So I thought that was interesting. But this idea that um, you know, when we talk about you know, uh, you know humor, I'm, I'm not saying that satire can never be used, right? You know, and I'm, I'm not saying that it, it can't. Um, but uh, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very delicate line, um, and I, I think that you know, very few people have been able to um, you know strike that balance. It's tough. So the watermelon on on what becomes a kind of objective correlative for the stereotype, but then also the communal aspect that doesn't get touched upon. Yeah, I mean, I think just 
kind of building off what Dr. G said, when we look at the history of the watermelon and why it is turned into like this racist trope after emancipation, a lot of enslaved folks were harvesting watermelon as a cash crop. You know, you can sell these things. It was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of status. And so for a lot of white Americans who are now seeing these black people gain this status, how do we take that away from them? We demonize them. We create these caricatures. We create these cartoons that deem black people eating watermelon are now lazy and criminal and all of these different things. And so it is a hugely missed opportunity. And as the, the poll just went out, we asked, like, does anyone know what watermelon, like, why is it relevant? No one said anything. And I think that kind of goes to the point of, is it landing as intended, right? Because we can kind of miss the entire joke. So it's like, is the joke on me or is it the joke on you for not getting it? And, and the thing is, uh, there, man, two quick things that he said that are so very powerful. That's why I hang out you know, with his brother so, so often. He's just brilliant, right? So this idea that um, intent is different from impact. So, so we're very clear on that we support Melvin Van Peebles as an artist and what he had to go through and what he did. But intent is different from impact. Right. I mean, we, we can have the best of intentions, but in terms of, you know, if, if, if the impact is, is, is a different scenario, I think, you know, if you care, you, then you're curious to hear, well, how did it impact you that way and why? Because for, for any of my white allies who are listening right now, um, that can oftentimes happen on a day to day basis. This idea of like, oh, well, I didn't mean it. And I, I didn't mean to say it that way. And so, you, you know, you spend all this time circling your wheels on intent. But instead, what you should do is park and talk about impact. Okay, so I impacted you. That, is that, was that what you're saying? Okay, and then if you care about the individual, then perhaps you'll modify your behavior accordingly, right? So again, it's not about the intent. M many of us have the best of intentions, but the question is impact, right? And so again, I think, um, you know, the intent is to show a film like this, have us think, and the impact, I think, right now is us processing and being honest, right? So, so again, there's just you know, there's, there's nothing to, to be ashamed about, you know, and if we disagree, then, then that's fine. But, you know, I think um, for me going back to the watermelon piece, I'm just curious, and I don't know whether the movie would have been as successful if that last glimpse we saw was the, the narrative for like the last third or even two thirds of the film where, you know, okay, I am going to go out on my own. I'm going to exploit this market. We're selling watermelons and we're now millionaires and we know we're now flipping the script and now you work for us or right. So in other words, there was no fundamental systemic like change of the, the power dynamic, right? In, in other words, right? Just like you watch the movie, the help. Oh, we loved it. We loved it. Okay. Really? That's great. Um, but if you notice, the beginning scene, they start off in maid outfits, and both of the last scenes on screen, both women, in the movie in maid outfits. I don't know what the fuck this is about. I'm supposed to be happy? I'm supposed to pay for this? I'm supposed to pay for this? I'm supposed to pay for this? Meanwhile, the white female has the most complicated character arc. Skeeter, right, is the one who, you know, uh, negotiates with the, uh, the white male to get the job in the first place, leverages or exploits Abilene for the advice column, writes the book contract, leaves to New York, you know, to the, the girl power and this, that, and the third, and reconciles with her boyfriend and reconciles with her mom, what is the movie about? Is it about the help or is it about a white female at the end of the day? So in other words, the intent was good to create a story, you know, and have people come together, even though Catherine Stockett observed the help at her brother's house for the story. 
right? Mm -hmm, it's right. And then, well, <laughs> you send her an email and ask how much the help got paid for her observation, right? But but and then in terms of the impact, I'm just telling you again, it's just one, one, one black man's comments. But in terms of impact for a movie like The Help or Watermelon Man, these are some of the reasons why perhaps it didn't maybe land you know, with me. You know, and again, maybe if you wake up black tomorrow, it might land with you differently. <laughs> Uh, if I could go back, and I, I appreciate the passion, I don't want to, I don't want to derail. But if I could go back to the stories um, of of the community telling their own stories, and this goes for any community, um, but specifically because we're having the conversation, um, is this a conversation that's being held within the Black community regarding what stories should be told, how we should be telling these stories? Yeah, you know, I and the reason I mentioned it, you you see things like Spike Lee calling out Tyler Perry, or and you you get this. I'm very interested, and I apologize if the, if the question's not worded properly, but I'm very interested in, in the conversations that are being had um, within the black community about the stories that are being told. I mean, yeah, I, I would say that they're artists and they, they think they, they're passionate about their work, they're passionate about the art, and they're also critical of each other's art. Um, I think as consumers, we have consumer responsibility on who we choose to support and who we choose to watch. Um, but there's always this contention of, do we center whiteness? Do we center white palatability in my art? Or do I make this to speak to the everyday regular lives of black folks that is not uh, creating this mythical imagination of white people, of who they think black people actually are? Do we talk about, I think Issa Rae does an amazing job with Insecure, and I think that's why mm -hmm. it landed so well with so many people in the black community, people, especially people my age, because it talked about just every, they were able to just live their life as people and them being black and going to some type of strife or some type of um, racial turmoil wasn't the central point of the story that she was trying to tell. It was just about love and relationships and growing. Whereas some black artists, such as like uh, Tyler Perry or, or Spike Lee, they, they tend on two sides of, of, of the same coin. Like, do we center this black struggle? If we do center it, how is it being portrayed? Is it portrayed, being portrayed as a, as a moment of triumph? Or do we have to center whiteness to be focal to the story? So it is, it is a conversation that's being had. Um, it's just not being had in like, obviously these spaces, sure. right? Sure. And, and another uh, guardrail or restriction, Jason, about this conversation, and, and, I, and I appreciate you asking because the, the question is, well, like, well, where have I seen this conversation? Where is it taking place? It's largely underground, and one of the reasons why is because of the overarching power structure. Because African Americans are so few in number, right? Wait, what percentage of our nation is African American? Oh, 37, right, 40% is usually what I get. How about 13? 13. Right, so right, so ding, 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 that's the whole point. So, so many people believe, based upon uh, images and this, that, and the third, that African Americans are actually you know, um, you know, more populous than what they are because of their strong cultural impact in terms of you know, music and you know, other things of that nature and, and spirit. But the idea is this, because you're talking about such a small community, there is reticence or reluctance to publicly criticize the two or three people that are out there, you know, doing the same type of thing, right? And so, you know, in, 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 the, in the vein of airing dirty, dirty laundry, right? You know, it, you know, given the fact that there's so few number. I mean, now again, we're talking about a, a larger number of people when you have more racial capital, then it becomes more individualized. It's not, you know, Brock representing all of, right? You know, it's just, you just, Brock is an individual, right? But because, you know, we can count on one hand, like how many black female directors 
directors that are out there with Ava DuVernay, uh, DuVernay Ava and Ava DuVernay, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Ding, 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 okay, right, right. So, so it makes fun, okay. So because, right, there's so few, the, the reticence is why well, criticize publicly, although, uh, if you know where to look, Jason, you will, you will find whispers about what is Tyler Perry doing, right? Again, in terms of the same thing, complicated. Black producer, black writer, black you know uh, you know director, awesome. Studio power move. What's homeless rags and riches? This is awesome. But from a content perspective, I mean, the question is: Is he protected from critique just because he's black, or is it is it fair game, right? You know, and and I think you'll find that there are critiques of Tyler Perry, uh, but 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 there are going to be more nuanced in, in, the, in the vein of uh, protecting what what but few artists we have that are out there. Right. Yeah. Um, before it gets too late, I'd like to make sure we have time. Yeah, yeah, I was going to open, I was gonna open the floor for, yeah. Because you guys have access to these dudes. Some <laughs> yeah. Of those don't. So anybody in the, anybody have any questions or comments they want to make about them film? Yes. I have a question. What uh, Uh, I mean, as I mentioned, I don't know. I love Issa Rae. Um, I haven't, the films that she's done have kind of been okay, but when it comes to like the TV uh, sitcom, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to what she does in the future. Um, but in regards to film, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think we're at an interesting point with uh, black art with decentralizing whiteness. And so I think a lot of directors now who are trying to break into that mainstream are trying to do so, but on the indie level, they've been there, they've been constantly there. There aren't any emerging new because they've, they've been doing the work in those spaces. Can, can I add a couple directors? Like um, Gina Prince by The Woods Love and Basketball, I think is, is good. Um, Barry Jenkins' Medicine for Melancholy, which I think is a, a good example of sort of I, in that kind of Issa Rae vein of people going about their lives, right? and, and yes, the fact that they're black is important to their character, but it's not romanticizing that kind of racism. Or, yeah, no, it's tough because as I'm listening to your examples, right, it, it seems as if, uh, and I think that's what he was saying about the reason why Issa Rae's Insecure series resonated so much in terms of her just being normal, you know, and, and, and awkward, but this idea of it's either comedy, like like Soul Man, or, or or I get Kevin Hart with the bug eyes and the high pitched screams, almost as if he were a minstrel. Sorry, right? You know, um, or I get something so very heavy and serious, you know, like Henry Adelax, and you know, you know, right, right. It's like. I mean, again, I'm just like y'all. Like, it's Friday night. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I've been working all week. I want to see some dinosaurs and shit too. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know, like, you know. Seriously, I want to 
pay and go watch it with see Henrietta Lex and you know some black people getting you know you know disrespected and you know right in Baltimore like really on Friday night this is what I want to do but but this, this is like the choice I have it's like wow so in terms of you know to your question I mean you know I, I do like Ryan Cooler and I encourage your brother but I don't want to just put it on just black directors I mean this is like for any director any writer this idea of like how do we start to normalize this idea of diversity I mean, and I think this is something we need to learn because the models we have um, you know I, I think you know there, there's some that are good but there are a lot that need to be improved upon right that are kitschy and I think this is like one of the challenges when, when we're bringing in the youth to space like this okay well this is good but how would you maybe do the scene different right like how you know how would you put your spin on it like what would be your perspective like how would you potentially improve it because uh, right now um, I, I just think we're, we're only going to get better if we practice and I don't know if we practice applying these principles of diversity we take the trainings and know not to say the n-word oh okay great but but beyond that right how do we actually practice the implementation in our own daily lives? Yeah, right. Right. Uh, this is much of a question, it was just an observation. Uh, did you notice that uh, some of the motifs from, from some of his later films, such as Sweet Sweetback, sort of showed up in this, like the long, very long tracking shot, very wide tracking shots when he was at that landfill that remind me a lot of uh, Sweet Sweetback. Um, I didn't know if, if you guys noticed any of that. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I was actually sitting to myself uh, uh, wondering like, oh, you know when um, they, he first turned black and they're in the bathroom and they were kind of in the doorway? You know, I, I knew Melvin being Melvin, I was like, oh, he's going to try to get in a little bit of a, you know, black male, white female as in terms of like flipping the power dynamic, like, uh, you know, in terms of sexually active. And, you know, and then he just kissed her on her forehead. I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. So I was surprised by that. But Lo and behold, that scene was coming, right? You know, so, right. And he did it against, on the canvas of the proverbial classic, you know, blonde female, not just blonde, but Norway, right? You know, that, you know, all dressed in pink, right? You know, not, you know, not, not, you know, orange or brown, right? You know, so I think that was deliberate, this idea of, of conquest. Now, again, uh, you know, I, I don't believe women should be conquested or conquered, and, and, I, and I don't think he should have lost his family and all that. But I think him, in terms of being subversive, I, you know, I think, I, you know, I, I definitely was, like, looking for that and then saw that. I mean, th there's even some of the, like, warmth, warm melancholy that you see in uh, Three Day Pass, mm -hmm. too, right, mm -hmm. in, in this one. Mm -hmm. yeah. Shasta, did you want oh. I mean, I think that's one of, if I can say like some of the strong points of the movie is just his ability to showcase the 
the fickleness of white liberals who think they are on the right side of things when it comes to a certain extent. Like her, her connection or her proximity to blackness was always through the TV screen, right? Mm. And so from that, she ha she was safe to right. say like, oh, this is interesting to watch or uh, uh, Jeff, you, we should pay attention to this thing where he has the more absurd approach. Where like, I don't wanna watch that. I don't wanna watch these uppity darkies jigging across or sickness uh, this elevator up or we're going to Harlem like he's so absurd to the point that people around him are not even saying anything right whereas once she's confronted with his blackness when he magically turns black this is when all of her deep-rooted racism actually comes out oh hide the money or I thought you were going to kill me or all of these things or you know I heard this is popular in Africa right all these and I think that what he's doing is just showing that even for white liberals who think that they have this level of wokeness and they believe that black people equal like it once you hit a certain point like underneath is going to the racism is going to come out the anti-blackness is going to come out um and i thought he I took note of that i watched the movie and i just focused on the movie and then i watched it again just to see like how other people around jeff were kind of interacting with him in his transition and that was something that constantly came up was how these white liberals were either silent in his absurdity or kind of affirmed what he said in their own way once confronted when he turned black, once their proximity uh, was now disrupted. And I think we see a lot of that even in today's society. Once proximity is disrupted and things hit the fan, like where do you really stand when it comes to these race relation things? Well, well, if you pay attention, she actually does it very early on. As soon as she comes out the shower, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I, you know, I thought you were going to kill us. Like, call the police. Um, and he says, like, well, if I was a white guy, you would have humped me, right? Like, we, we all laughed at it, but I think even that subtle joke, he's pointing to, like, you didn't feel safe because you were in close, pro this was your first time to what we see as audience, you have close proximity to a black man. And the, the immediate thought process was uh, – sex or violence or theft or some type of criminality mm. now that you're in close proximity. So to me, it's like the first 20 minutes she exposes it because it's, it's disrupted for her. It, it, to like add to that though, and you're saying, even in the sense that, we're back to what y'all were saying about he got the script and the splitting stuff and kind of how does he do the fuck you while also getting his point across is if you listen to the language used by the wife, Definitely influenced by, I'm going to say your last name wrong, but Betty for, for, uh, for Dan. For Dan, right, right. She's definitely influenced by her, which in real life, Betty was being held accountable by black women who were, you're not forced, you're not about us in the reality. And then, 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 then this doctor, and he's like, oh, I hope to see you around. And then he says, yeah, I'll see you here, implying, because at that time, right, how people fit, like name and how he looked, both of us, you're Jewish, I'm black, we're not getting into this club that I'm telling you. So those little points of realization that happen throughout are also kind of going back to what y'all were saying, that point of how does he get this across, but what is missed mm -hmm. by the audience and what is captured by those who are taking it And this is where I think that if we are honest with ourselves and self-aware as, say, self-identifying white allies, mm -hmm. this is where we have a conversation with ourselves. This is where we sit and go, oh shit, have I done that? Have I been in that situation? How would I act, right? But again, that, that needs a level of self-awareness, right? Or, or are we laughing with or at, right? 
Obi-Wan, I think, too, it, it's, you see a lot of his peers and the people around him accepting at first. Right. Mm-hmm. But when they realize it's a permanent thing, oh, right. then it starts to turn, right? Then it starts to become more of a problem. Right. So they're respective to a degree, and then as it gets to be a more of a day-to-day thing, then it's the stairs come... Um, and it's yeah, it's much more com- uncomfortable. And he actually has to then, you know, then he has to retreat. Yeah, and, and I think the line delivered was, "I'm liberal, but up until a point, right?" right? You know, and, and I think um, in terms of you know what did work, I think uh, Melvin absolutely should be applauded for subverting Columbia by not doing the whole Scrooge. Oh, now now I understand. Now I see because that that's the whole point. When uh, every Halloween. Uh, you know, we, we have to remind, you know, students, you know, that culture is not a costume. So, I mean, even, but even, even beyond, even beyond Halloween, just a couple weeks ago at the Super Bowl, did you all see how many people in the stands were wearing Native American headdresses, right? You know, and, and this is at the Super Bowl, it's nothing to do with Halloween, we're just celebrating our, our sport, so to speak, but just this idea that, but guess what? At the end of the game, you can take the headdress off, right? But but for someone who truly is, say, the Wichita, you know, indigenous, you know, indigenous from around here, you can't take that off, right? You know, after you know a three-hour football game, like that is your life. That that's the issue, and and that that constant maintenance, like you said, of like once it became, it was more than just temporal. This was not just on my screen, but it's actually in my home, and you know, the phone calls interrupting my space, people are coming over. That, now I'm starting to see the reaction. Again, the first thing was to extricate the kids and then eventually myself, right? This idea of, of, of distance. And, and I think you're right in terms of the complication could have been nuanced a little bit more because white women oftentimes do see themselves as, um, as, as rightfully so victims of subjugation in contrast to white males but then fail to see to what degree that black women are subjugated according to them, right? You know, let's not forget how even during the depression, the depression, right? Poor white women still had what? Black women working for them, right? You lit up, the WPA was paying black women to actually work for poor white women, right? Who were, you know, couldn't do the laundry, you know, during, these, during those times, right? But, 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 but they still were able to pay a black woman to do it during the depression. Yeah, so there's this hierarchy, right? That I think, um, you know, still needs to be teased because you're right. Um, when we talk about allyship, um, I think we have to be honest about the limitations. And, and it's not to say it's anybody's fault. Uh, well, it is the fault of maybe our education system, right? You know, when we don't have meaningful conversations like this earlier and more often, right? You know, because again, for someone to walk out of here and be like, oh, well, I, I, I didn't know the watermelon. Ooh, ooh. Well, well, that's good, right? You know, I mean, that's good for you to learn that. You know, the, the key would, would have been for you to learn that maybe in third grade, like when we did. <laughs> Speaking to the education system, you just brought up a good point that I didn't want to miss is that the kids being, you know, not necessarily central to the story, but when they are, when they see their dad, they don't think anything's wrong, right? And so I think he's getting at this idea that racism is like a taught thing. Like it is learned, it is a learned behavior observed by social surroundings as opposed to being inherent to our nature. Um, And I think it's, again, one of those points that like, we, you missed it if you missed it, right? You know, you miss it if you miss it, but it's there, it's subtle. Like the, the kids, they see their father and they're like, oh, dad, like, w- what's wrong with you? Right, right. To them, it's everyday life. Like, they don't necessarily see him the way in which his wife sees him now or the people that he had everyday interactions with now see him as this black man. 
in, in contrasting that with, um, I thought what was also interesting um, was the scene where the men were in the home negotiating. Because what, was, what struck me about that was how polite they were. Right? I mean, again, no one called anyone the N-word. There's no finger pointing or anything of nature. But at the same time, uh, Jeff won the battle, right? He, he, got, he got 100 grand, right? But what did they originally offer him? So, so I thought that was telling this idea that, which was still a significant amount, right? And it seems that he was like absurdly pushing the, the, the number, right? But even in negotiating a, 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 a potentially flawed transaction, I mean, the idea that we're going to pay you to, to go away in the first place, right? You know, the idea behind that. But even still, they lowballed him, so to speak, because he. I, I think the language was very specific about. Well, I was uh, authorized only to. This is my max. So no, it's kind of like when you go to the table with an insurance company, and they're like, "Oh, well, we can't pay you." They're like, you, you, you pay the max. You have it. Like, where do you, why are we playing this game? We're wasting time. So this idea that he, he had the max, but just in terms of even still, I'm devaluing you, right? Whereas with the kids, they just saw dad. I thought that was a, a nice contrast. It, and all of that like reinforces this systemic issue, right? And the sort of system of structures built around that and, and working within those structures, right? Which, yeah, I mean, maybe Van Peebles is calling attention to, maybe, maybe not, maybe not as much as he, as he should, right? of that that we are concerned with where where we want stories to just be stories but do we lose anything in in in, in that telling is does that make sense like where there is, is there's an import to telling black stories right but we also want to have stories that exist and i'm not saying that they can't coexist um but where do we draw the line with those i guess how do we make sure we're we're, we're paying service to both of those Yeah, no, I, I think it's difficult, Jason, because um, this, 
what, what she was just talking about, this has been 400 years in the making, right? It, it has. I mean, because like you said, you're, you're here just, you know, minding your business, but but people, they kind of force you. I mean, you know, they, well, wait, so what are you again? Wait, 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 where are you? I mean, right, right, right. Where are you really? Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, where are you really? Right, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and again, it's not necessarily welcoming, like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I like my fungo too, or, you know, but, but it's more like, you know, but do you, do you speak Spanish? And, you know, are you like, they're trying, right, 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 right. And so, so Jason, to your point, I mean, I think that um, what's difficult is when a movie like The Color Purple, the musical, comes out, I think there's a disproportionate amount of pressure on a movie like that, right? To be successful um, and to represent so many things for so many people. And, and what we were saying earlier is that, um, that, that I think going back to what you're saying about the, the idea of running, I think the ideal scenario would be where Mr. Perkins um, represents Mr. Perkins, you know, not necessarily the whole of the black race in, the, in terms of everything that he does. And so, you know, I, I think that when you look at, you know, black artists that are creating, there's still this inordinate amount of pressure about, you know, does it representative, you know, does, does it truly represent like this, this, this story for this monolithic block? And guess what, y'all? We're gonna find out again this November. Black people do not vote in a monolithic block, right? You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, black people have different ideas and, and opinions, right? Believe it or not, right? You know, believe it or not, right? Um, and again, I went to HBCU, so so I know, right? You know, that's, I was able to see different people, all different shades and and types and and, and ideas. Uh, it's amazing, right? You should try it. So, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And so the idea is that. Jason, um, I, I think right now the way the Hollywood system is structured, um, that that pressure is, I think, is still going to be there. I mean, I, I don't want to wish it away and, and be idealistic. I, I think it's just that's just a factor right now, and that might change um, in generations to come. The more that we uh, have discussions like this, and more writers and directors are more sensitive because those are the keys. You know, we talk about an increase in actors, right? And Hollywood has changed, absolutely. Hands down, I, I, I cannot quibble about that. We are seeing much more um, diversity on screen, right? But uh, people, uh, you know, while, while that's cool, in addition to the quantity, oh, you know, I, you know, there's two Latinos on screen. Oh, oh, there's three Native, you know, like, you know, Killer Flower Moon, there's three Native Americans with speaking lines. Okay, so in addition to the quantity, I want us also to look at the what? The quality. Because the Killer Flower Moon, they need Native Americans to survive, <laughs> right? It's three and a half hours, they have a chance, right? Right, so, so in terms of quality, right? Quality, right, quality. So, so I think right now, Jason, um, the, the pressures of Hollywood uh, make it very difficult for um, you know uh, upcoming artists of color to be individualistic. I, I think these other attendant pressures are, are part of the package right now. Okay, so was it just me? But then, <laughs> well, but then I heard you say, I get that the intent was there, but I ain't feeling it. And that's also good for me to hear, that it made me uncomfortable, but it's still not hitting the mark. I think that's important. And one of the first things you talked about was the watermelon. And I um, was not, I, I, was, I was cringe to say it out loud, but what I thought was, because we used to garden a lot, and we did a lot of heirloom vegetables, and the watermelon varieties that we got that were heirlooms, non-hybrid, 
were native to Africa. Oh, oh wow! You said non-hybrid. Yes. Wow. Yes, sir. The 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 heirloom seeds that we had were native to Africa. The watermelons that we grew, and I was I cringed and couldn't say it out loud because I was so embarrassed to be white for the next several days, but especially in those few minutes. But anyway, so I wondered if there was anything to why that is associated with that. And you don't have to answer that. The concept of watermelon? The main point was that I couldn't say it because I was cringing because of what I just seen. And I, I don't know where there's any relevance. Does anybody else? <laughs> social media and um, valuing authenticity is is a huge deal. That's why Risa Tisa has oh, been so popular yeah. on TikTok because that was just an authentic story. Race was not centered. It was just her story that hmm. has been relatable globally. And that's what we need to get to without that shield of the Hollywood perspective and trying to make everyone, because every, it, it's different now. The world has shifted. <laughs> and I feel like we're all ready to embrace everyone's authentic self. And so I just, if we can end it, I mean, if that is a good way for Hollywood <laughs> to get over these obstacles, I think authenticity is it. Uh, I, 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 and I agree, I think Hollywood is still in the imagination of white folks. Um, largely, and I think when we call it Hollywood, we kind of passively miss that point, right? And I, I know I know exactly what you're saying, um, but I think when we, we say Hollywood is doing this thing, it's like we're kind of passive and not direct to saying like, when it comes to this movie industry, it is in the imaginations of like white folks, of like what they want to see or what they believe to be true for black populations or indigenous populations or Latinx, like we're not there yet, and honestly, I don't know how we get there. Mm. This concept of race and, and blackness, um, racism is really baked into the fabric of this country. Mm. I mean, enslavement existed long before the United States was was the United States. So anything that comes after that is like sugar in an apple pie. Like it is baked into the fabric. I don't know how you take it out of it. Um, and it kind of intersects itself into all of our interactions, whether visibly or blindly or just and I think it gets its most power when it becomes invisible. Um, and I, again, bringing it back to the film, I think his attempt, which doesn't land, is to kind of take those invisible pieces and bring it to the forefront. Like some of the things that come to my mind is like when the bus driver and Joe at the counter find out he's black, they're like, oh, I didn't know you were black. Well, let me give you some instructions on like how to navigate this space, right? And it, to me, it reminded me of Paul Lawrence Dunbar's The Mask We Wear. Like they're now taking off the mask to like give their authentic selves. But even then, he still has this distance of like, I'm not black. Like that's not me. Um, but they're like, sure, you're not black, but here are some instructions on how to like navigate this space because we're still operating within this larger system that no matter how good you look, no matter how good your job is, no matter how well you speak, no matter how conservative your suits are, even if you see the suits are like blue and conservative, but towards the end, they're like more 
vibrant in color, the more, right? And so no matter how, what you drive and what, like we're still operating within this system. So I don't know how much we change it by adhering to it. And, and there's even this aspect that we, I think we try to make the implicit explicit or we keep trying and it just doesn't seem to land. And I think that's kind of what Van Peebles is trying to do, right? Is make those implicit things explicit. And even with the notion of, or the hint of passing, I think, in the film, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and when you say we, um, let's break down the numbers. Um, when we say Hollywood, uh, what percentage of the Writers Guild of America is white? Anybody know? Remember, these are the people responsible for bringing us to life, all these beautiful stories. Exactly. So 90%. Directors Guild of America. Yes, even higher. It's in 98. And, and, and mind you, and mind you, of that 2%, that includes television, commercial, and non-feature film, right? So when you talk about how many people are actually producing the big-time summer tentpole blockbusters that we all know and love that are distributed worldwide, very small group, right? And so it's not to say these people are evil. These are well-educated people who love art, but... I think some of these movie scripts might look different if more people like you and I were in that room and like, well, uh, actually, I don't know about that, right? You know, that, that's, and that back and forth, when you talk about being authentic, the idea that, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, we have a grown relationship, right? I'm able to sit here and be like, hey, man, I, you know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm honest about it for them to be, you know, okay. So it's not the, you know, put, put on blast, like, why did you show this movie? No, 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 that, that's the point, to show this movie to, for us to think about, okay, well, what parts work? Because remember, I, I thought I was very clear, and I said, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's be complicated, there are parts that were good, but overall, it didn't land, right? And here's some of the reasons why, right? You know, and, and then that's what we're able to dialogue back and forth about. Then she's able to say, well, here's me being authentic, and that's how we're able to build, that's how we're able to build relationships and build community, right? Um, but I think, in terms of um, right now, where the disadvantage in terms of when we go to the, the you know the AMC 18, there's very little voting in terms of you know what's actually shown to us. Um, you know the most voting power we have is essentially to whether to patronize it or not. Um, but I still believe that um, these conversations are still planting the seeds for what will be uh, generated and created. Um, you know um, you know in the and uh, hopefully the, the days to come. I'm running out of time, so last thoughts, Will? Um, I really think that this should be played back to back with Sweet Guy. Um, I feel like uh, this was made for a white liberal audience. Mm. Uh, the protagonist is white. Um, and did Melvin, uh, was that his intent? Because it, uh, Sweet Back is a clear mm. uh, answer to this movie. Mm. Well, I mean, so. You know, off this film, he was offered a, a three-picture contract with Columbia and said, uh-uh, right? Gave him the finger and went off with his own money and a loan from Cosby to, to go make Sweetback, right? And, and so, I mean, yeah, he's like, I'll do it myself and I'll make this the biggest badass independent film that's around. I mean, it was the highest grossing independent film of 1970, 71. And it maintained that for a long, long time, right? So, I mean, I think, and I, I agree. I mean, watching Sweetback after this, you're just like, oh, I see how he's taking some of those ideas and just boom, right? Blowing it up to make, then this film that becomes 
you know, a film sort of lionized by the Black Panthers after that as well. Well, and to even Will's point, the the films, like you said, they almost run together, right? Because as he's in the bar at the end, you see the cops coming in, accosting a patron mm -hmm. who's doing nothing other than just being in the bar, mm -hmm. which is actually the start and the impetus of Sweetback yeah. um, and, and his, him going on the run. So, yeah, it does seem like this could just roll right into and, Badass and Song. The, and the kind of, like, militancy of, right. of the end with, right. with broomsticks and whatever they have, right, to sort of fight back. Yes, Elizabeth. And I think that's uh, the way the movie ends is kind of like, well, is it authentic? Like, is he a black man now? Um, I think the, the movie ends as bizarre as it kind of starts. You know, it, he, he magically turns black one day and then towards the end of the movie, he's now this black revolutionary yeah, militant. Yeah, like, yeah. do we buy that? Does it land? Like, to me, I, I didn't really get the character arc. I didn't. I didn't accept it of like, okay, now you're a black man. Welcome to the party. But it's more so... Um, more questions than answers. Um, and to your point, I do think it kind of builds off this idea. And I think for me, it's this, when you're not having to operate within this system, like this, um, what a Miller man is, is under Columbia. So he's adhering to like certain type of parameters, there's a certain audience that he knows that this movie has to go to. But when he goes back to the indie route where I have more control, I am the one funding my own project, then these ideas that I'm working with can be expounded upon. They can be relayed in a way that makes sense for me and my like directed audience without centering white palatability. Last thoughts from, from you guys? So, and one, I want to thank you both for being here. It's been wonderful, so. So uh, uh, then I know it's uh, pretty late. It's past a lot of people's bedtime. It's <laughs> definitely past my bedtime. Um, but I do want to thank you all for the opportunity. Um, for having us out here, um, Devin, for connecting, uh, as well as you all coming out tonight. Um, these conversations are important. Uh, we're able to kind of think, and I think what art does, it makes us think and it makes us feel, um, and allows us to kind of take away something, you know, whether you get it, whether you don't get it, you know, whether we agree, whether we disagree, who cares? Uh, but I think it, if it does what it's supposed to do in any regard, it, it should make you think critically like of ourselves and our relationships to other others um and so i uh, i don't know if you all got all of the the movie you might have to watch it again uh i probably won't um uh, <laughs> but but for the sake of this conversation um I, I do thank you all for coming out tonight and um i enjoyed the conversation yeah. i also would like to echo my gratitude for all these uh staying up uh to um you know hang out no, seriously, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I wish I had as much luck at my dinner table. Um, <laughs> right, but uh, but no, seriously, the open invitation, you know, Jason Brock, you know, my brother, you know, thanks for thinking about me. And I'm just also appreciative of uh, all he is being willing to engage 
in conversation. I mean, I, I think this is what warms my heart as I drive home, you know, tonight. Uh, even though I thought it was 90 degrees on Monday, uh, you know, in, in this chilly 40 degree air. What warms me is this idea that these are the seeds, not watermelon seeds, but these are the seeds of community, right? For us to exchange ideas, exchange different points of view. And it's not a matter of us all holding hands and seeing Kubaya walking out the theater. That's not the point. The point is that we can appreciate intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, that we can see the same thing, but not see the same thing, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So I just want to encourage you to keep watching what you're watching. That's how we're supposed to talk about it. Yeah. Right, everyone, thank you. Give these guys a round of applause, please. Yeah, thank you. And you guys be safe going home. We'll be back here in at the end of March with She Dares Collective to watch Emma Seligman's Bottoms. It is a great film, so I hope you guys all come back out for that. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you liked today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time. Ah!